podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Maybe a little bit of other news here and there that we'll that we'll kind of talk about. Talk a little bit about the Big Twelve in general. Um, I am joined again by by Fetch today, so we will get right into that interview with him. And I'm joined once again by Steve Fetch, uh, editor over at Rock Chalk Talk. Steve, how are you doing tonight? Hey, good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. All right. So obviously we had um, a, a couple games that happened since our last episode, and we prepared for that obviously by talking about both of them beforehand. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not sure that anything really went too far outside of the expectations that we had. So my first question for you, I think we're just going to talk about both of them at the same time because they were similarly just as frustrating as, as the other. Um, what, was there anything from either of those games that really surprised you? I think, you know, even though Baylor's not very good, I think that the, the huge lead that Kansas was able to get out to both right away um, and then down the stretch in the second half, both of those things did surprise me a little bit because they haven't really shown themselves to be that sort of a team yet this year. Um, you know, they were up, I think it was 18 to two or something like that after the first 10 minutes of the game, which, they, you know, they've, they've had spurts where they've been really good. I, I think the first, you know, few minutes of the second half of the Marquette game is the instance that I always come back to. And, and they started off pretty strong in the Michigan State game in the season opener, but for the most part, they've just kind of, um, kept teams at a, a somewhat of an arm's length and that's kind of how they've won. So, uh, that, that part surprised me. Um, but I, I guess we can, you know, well, I'll, I'll let you say what surprised you first before I get to kind of my other point. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that I was necessarily surprised by Kansas getting out to the big lead, um, in either instance, just because, you know, they've, they've done that multiple times. And also Baylor has a habit of getting down early to teams and then coming back. Um, or even vice versa of, you know, playing really well. Basically what, what I'm trying to say is that Baylor's a really streaky team. They'll go on big runs or have big runs against them multiple times in several games. And so I wasn't really that surprised. I think what I was surprised about is, you know, that we had individual players, um, especially inside that were able to play so well. Um, you know, I just, I didn't think that Baylor was going to give up as much as they did. Um, it just in terms of, of down low, um, you know, I was I was surprised that Kansas again looked like a completely different team um, than what they had been before we lost Yudoka Azubuke for the entire season. So uh, I was a little surprised that they that they've been able to kind of put it together. What didn't surprise me at all, obviously, is that you know they almost gave up the lead in both of the games that we had. Um, that just seems to kind of be a thing with this team. Either they turn it off or they just have a hard time keeping that sustained pressure for the entire game. Yeah, and that was, I mean, that was my second thing. Both times they let Baylor almost come all the way back, and then obviously Texas, they weren't up by as much, but Texas had the shot to win it at the end there, and that's the kind of stuff where, on the one hand, I think I would take Kansas in a, uh, you know, multiple two, three possession game or whatever um, late, just because of how good Bell Self is and how consistently they seem to get better shots on their opponent, but 
Uh, at some point, that's going to come back to bite them, and, and you just hope it's in a game, you know, that doesn't really matter as much versus a game in the NCAA tournament. But, you know, I, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the fact that some of their better players aren't uh, as experienced. I don't know if it's just they don't have kind of the offensive firepower to to sustain a big run. But whatever it is, I think that they really need to work on um, putting their foot down a little bit when they get a lead rather than letting teams come back and, and rather than, you know, basically thinking the game's over at some point when they get up by five or six. Yeah, I mean, I think this is kind of wild speculation on my part, but what seems to make sense to me, you know, you you look at the fact that we're really only playing six guys really significant minutes. Um, you know, the game against Texas, um, Abaji played, or it was the sixth mo- um, highest number of minutes at 25, and the drop-off there to David McCormick was, you know, he only had eight minutes. Uh, so I think, I think part of what we're seeing, especially late in games, is very similar to what we had last year um, in that, you know, the guys that are playing are playing so much that they're finally just getting worn out at the end of the game and they can't keep up the defensive pressure and they can't, they don't have the same burst offensively as they do early in the game. Um, this is a little bit different than last year, obviously, because supposedly we have a much deeper bench. It doesn't seem like Bill Silver really trusts most of the guys on the bench. We're still, you know, we still aren't, are only playing about seven or eight guys in, 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 in any particular game, which I find to be really surprising given you know, how good these guys were supposed to be. Um, but given some of the problems that we've had throughout the the lineup, I mean, I'm, I, I guess I'm not really too surprised we're not playing that many guys. Um, but I, I would have expected our, our deeper roster that we have would allow more guys to play significant minutes so that we're not getting super tired out at the end of the game. Um, but, you know, I'm just looking the, the the Baylor game. You know, we had three guys playing over 30 minutes in Vic, Dotson, and, and Lawson, Dedrick Lawson. Um, Quentin Grimes and Marcus Garrett p- both played over 25 Again, Ochayabaji played 21. Um, KJ Lawson only played 11. So, like, there, there's a very big drop off again after you get to those, get past those top six guys. And so, if that continues the rest of the year, it's going to be very similar to last year, where we had such a small rotation that guys weren't able to keep it up. Now they they stepped up at big moments, but the games were always a lot closer than they really needed to be, just because guys were so worn out. They were having a hard time keeping that intensity for the entire game. Um, last year, I think we had a lot more of, you know, lulls in the middle of the game and then they turn it on at the end. Whereas I think this team seems to go a lot harder and tries to go as hard as they can for as long as they can. And then they just wear out at the end. And luckily they have had just enough to finish games off for the most part. Yeah. And, and I think one other thing uh, you saying this kind of um, jogged my memory of something I kind of thought about a little bit. Uh, well, really down the stretch, both games, but especially that Texas game, um, it really seemed like Dieter Clausen was kind of, you know, maybe not exerting himself a ton uh, on Monday night, um, maybe saving himself, who knows, but then at the end of the game, you really kind of turned it on, and when it was winning time, you know, Kansas went to him over and over and over again, and he scored, and maybe that has something to do with it, too. I mean, maybe he just kind of, uh, whether it's subconsciously or not, thinks to himself, hey, I'm going to go ahead and, you know, wait and make sure I'm fresh at the end of the game because I know that they're going to be coming to me. And um, I probably should take a little bit closer look at this, but it really does seem like a a bulk of his shots seem to come after the 10-minute mark uh, of the second half. Yeah, and and, and the thing that I will say, again, comparing this team to last year's team, 
last year's team, it seemed like the guys took off on defense a lot, like saving themselves, not giving full effort on defense a lot because they, they wanted to make sure that they had enough energy for the end of the game. I think we see the opposite here, where the guys are not necessarily as crisp on offense. This team is a very good defensive team. They seem to be really focused in off- or defensively. Um, where they let it lapse and where they kind of take possessions off would be on the offensive end, which is a little frustrating for us, you know, given that we're so used to really good offensive teams that get better defensively as the year goes on. Um, but what we're really seeing is we're in a similar sort of short rotation type of situation, um, but this team is very, very talented defensively. That seems to be where their biggest strength is. And so they're they're taking advantage of that all the time and kind of going on spurts on the offense where they need to. So I don't think we're really seeing anything different than what we have in previous years. It's just that the strength of this team is defensively instead of offensively. And so that's where we're seeing it show up different in the box score. What that also does is, you know, you have huge offensive spurts early in the game and potentially late in the game. Um, But then you let, you know, so no matter how far ahead you are, when you start to take possessions off offensively, it allows the other team to catch up no matter how good defensively you are because you're just not scoring at the pace you need to in order to maintain a big lead. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I agree with all that. Um, you, you do wish that they would, um, be able to put the foot down a little bit better and, and you do, um, wish that they had maybe a little bit more offensive firepower. And I think the other thing too with that is, um, you know, last year they had plenty of guys who could just go get a good shot off a broken play. I mean, Devontae Graham would pull up from 40 feet or whatever and, you know, Svi could could get a shot off off the dribble, and this year they don't really have that. I mean, Dotson can get into the lane and create, and um, Marcus Garrett has actually shown a, a pretty good ability to get in the lane, especially if he gets kind of the right type of defender on him. Um, obviously, you know, Dieter Glossen, but I think it's tougher maybe for for big men to do what Dieter Glossen is doing, and you know be that guy and, and get the ball either in the post or in the high post over and over and over again. And so that's why we see some of these possessions where uh, there's a little bit more um, inactivity on the offensive end than there was the last couple of years. Yeah. I mean, I, I think just how I hate to say that this, this offense is one dimensional, but um, unless we just have guys that go off for insane shooting nights, this offense is pretty much one dimensional. You know, everything runs through Lawson and he, He's able to either get other guys open and kick it out to them um, or just go in and bully guys down low and then score on his own. Um, you know, it's it's definitely a lot more one-dimensional than I would like it to be. Um, but the one thing I will say, these last two games, um, it looks like the three-point shooting is back, especially for, uh, you know, our, our favorite uh, scapegoat in p- previous seasons for a guy that disappeared. You know, it looks like the, the Superman LeGerald Vick is back. Um, he was, let's see, he was six of eight from three against Baylor. And then he was, uh, I believe five of eight. Yeah. Five of eight from three against, uh, Texas. So he had two really good three point shooting games. Um, which honestly, I think these are the, the two best games that he's had in conference play that I can remember, um, just from a pure scoring standpoint. Yeah. And I think it comes down to what we talked about in our last podcast. He's, uh, you know, he didn't dribble as much. Uh, this last week, and he didn't try to make as many plays off the dribble. I mean, he he caught and shot, and sometimes there was you know maybe a, a one dribble uh, into a three and, and stuff like that. But right. he's not trying to knife into the lane and score over guys. Although he he can do that at times. He's not trying to you know drive and kick. He's not trying to 
drive and get caught in the air and make a pass out. I mean, he's making simple passes, uh, catching and shooting. And as a result, he had two really nice games back to back and has kind of reestablished himself as a, a guy that opposing coaches really need to watch out for. Um, just pulled up his last two games here. And, and this, you know, listen, this is the story of LeGerald Vick throughout his entire career. He gets hot for a while and then cools off and right. gets the, hot again and, and cools off. So who knows if, you know, he's found something or not, but he's six of eight and then five of eight. So he's 11 of 16 from three in his last two games. And, uh, you know, like I said, in one of our, one of the recaps, uh, Kansas is going to need a, a game or two like that from him um, in order to win a national championship. So hopefully this is what he is going forward. Yeah, when when it comes to LeGerald Vick, the only consistency is inconsistency. <laughs> so, um, you know, he'll he'll get really hot for a couple games and then he'll cool off for a couple games and you'll wonder why he's even out on the floor at times. Um, I think the benefit here and what has allowed him to really make a mark and I think get out of his slump this year is just the fact that they don't have anyone else to put out on the floor. You know, last year when he went into a slump that we had guys, we had Malik Newman who could come out and had started to come out hot. So Vic lost a lot of playing time to a guy like that when he went into a slump just because we had other options um, that that played the same sort of role that he does. But now being the only senior on the team, you know, being our best three-point threat, there's not really a lot of opportunity to go away from him. So he has to be allowed to just play through it. If he has a bad game, he doesn't end up getting benched. Um, you know, it's really hard for him to get benched. He'd have to be do something extremely stupid, either on the floor or off the floor, um, to find himself not playing a significant number of minutes. And we, we just don't have that luxury this year because of the issues that we've had with the rotation. So, um, all right. Any other any other thoughts about any particular players from those two games or, or anything else there? Um, well, do you want to do you want to talk about Quentin Grimes a little bit? I uh, he. To me, he's kind of getting back into to where he was before that little outburst, which is not good. But then you look at his numbers, and um, it's obviously not great. You you know you wish he would shoot the ball a little bit more, and you wish he'd turn the ball over less. But um, he's really a couple threes away from being a, a pretty nice little player. I mean, he's third in the Big Twelve in two point shooting right now. Um, I think his defense has been better. He's getting out and challenging shooters better. He's been a lot better on the ball, which is really nice. Uh, so I think that there's something, you know, for him to build on there. I just think that he's probably not going to be um, the offensive weapon that we thought he would be this year. And, and to me, the thing that's most disappointing is just the lack of assists because he was really billed coming in as uh, a really good passer and a guy who could play point guard in a pinch. And uh, so far, we definitely have not seen that be the case. Yeah, but <clears throat> excuse me. I think this is kind of another example of, of what we um, are seeing different about this team is, you know, he's not sure he, he's not doing a lot uh, positive offensively, but he's also not really doing anything negative offensively either. There's not a lot of turnovers, especially in these last couple games. And really where he's made the biggest strides, I think is his defense, which kind of says a lot given, you know, you know, he's, he's kind of fit in with the rest of the team. This is a really good defensive team. And that's where he's really building his game. That was one of the questions for him coming in. This year was, yeah, sure, he's he's shown he can be a talented shooter, but, you know, is he able to kind of play more in the team concept, and is he able to to get that defense really going? And I think he's answered those questions to say that, yeah, he can do both. He's not he's not really forcing shots anymore. 
Um, so while he is taking much less opportunities in terms of shots and he's not necessarily making a good, a good percentage of them, um, he's also playing a lot more well within the offense. The, the, the three point shots that he's taking are inside the offensive game plan. And so, you know, he's not, he's not creating bad opportunities. He's just not, he's just not making the shots that he ends up taking. Um, so I, I can live with that. I'm okay with that. He's definitely being a very positive influence on the defensive end. Um, a lot more than I than I really thought he was going to coming into the year. Um, I think it's just going to take time for him to to kind of get that shot back and to be consistent with it. The one thing I will say, he obviously doesn't have that one and done type look right now, um, unless he just comes on really strong in the at the very end of the season and into the the NCAA tournament. You know, we're probably going to have him back next year, and I think giving him a little bit more time to kind of get in the weight room and build up a little bit more strength and really just get used to the system and build that confidence in his shot. Um, you know, I, I'm seeing he's he's probably going to be a really good piece for us next year, um, assuming that he doesn't get it turned on and, and end up being a really good piece for us throughout the end of the year. Yeah, I do wonder if he comes back or if he thinks that he, you know, needs to go to, to stay on schedule, so to speak. Um, I don't I don't know anything about the incoming class as a whole, so I don't know how strong the draft is next year compared to this year and and whatever. But it's it's hard to see him being. Um, even a first round pick at this point. So um, yeah, I think I think ev- everything that I've heard seems to think that this year is going to be a stronger draft class than next year. So yeah, so if that's what he's worried about, is you know, am I going to get a good shot? Um, you know, he'll have an opportunity to improve his game and improve his draft stock anyway um, by coming back another year and performing really well. And it should be a little easier, I think, for him to rise next year, just based off of what I've been hearing. I, you know, maybe. Maybe there's a, a talent or two that develops that, uh, and overall the talent level develops a little bit better, um, and so ultimately maybe it would be better for him to go this year. But I, everything I've seen right now seems to indicate that this year is probably you know if if you're a a questionable prospect right now in the NBA now it's probably not the right the best time to go. You might be better served waiting another year. So yes, yeah, sel- selfishly um, you have to hope he comes back just because. Well, one he'd probably be a, a really really good player next year but secondly i don't think kansas has the immediate impact guys in their recruiting class coming in next year so adding him as a a third recruit so to speak um obviously not a not a recruit but a guy that you didn't necessarily expect to have in 2019 2020 um when you recruited him i think that would be a, a really big boost to their team yeah definitely i mean so so let's actually talk about that a little bit i mean Obviously, with Yudoka Azubuki's injury, there's a good oppor- or a good possibility that he could come back next year. I still think that if he really wants to go, he could potentially go this year. But the the timetable for his injury, he's not really going to be able to get workouts in before the NBA draft. So there'll be a lot of questions talking about his injury. If I had to handicap it right now, I'd say probably about 70% likely that he comes back to Kansas for next year. So that's one guy you're going to have next year you probably didn't think you were going to. As good as Devon Dotson has been, I just don't think he's had the offensive stats to warrant him jumping, trying to jump to the NBA after this year. Um, so really, it looks like probably the only guy who for sure is gone, other than Vic, obviously, because he's graduating, would be Dietrich Lawson. Um, you know, looking at what we have for next year, it seems like this team is going to be loaded next year with a lot of returning guys, assuming that they can develop where they need to be. Next year might be a year where we have something similar to what we were really expecting this year with a lot of um, experienced guys that have a lot of talent and that can mesh into a really good team. Are you are you really looking for it? Obviously, we have this year to pay attention to, but just looking at the possibilities now that we might have for that roster next year, um, 
I mean, are, are you expecting that much of a step forward? And, and are you expecting most of these guys to stay like that? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. I think um, Devin Dotson's the guy that I think is maybe the one that uh, is most um, most questionable at this point or, or maybe most um, – He's, I don't really know how to phrase it. He, when he came he, in, I thought he was probably going to be a multi-year guy. Right. Uh, and now I'm not as sure just because of how good he's been. Um, that said, you, you know, it's one of those things where he's he's pretty small. Um, I looked it up earlier. He's a, he's about equal to Tyus Jones, who plays backup point guard uh, for the Timberwolves right now. And um, Tyus Jones' size does hurt him uh, in terms of being an NBA player. So, um, you know, who knows, maybe he stays for another year and, um, tries to up his draft stock, but it's another thing where, you know, staying another year isn't going to make him taller. So from that standpoint, it probably makes sense to just go and see where you get drafted. Um, I certainly think I would take him, um, before Trey Jones, who a lot of people are talking about as, um, maybe not the top point guard in the draft because of, uh, oh, what's his face from Vanderbilt, uh, Darius Garland, is kind of thought of as the top point guard in the draft. But I think Trey Jones is thought of as maybe the second best uh, guard in the draft at this point. And um, I think I would take Dotson before him. So uh, I don't really see a reason for him to stay, but but who knows? So um, I guess that's a, a long, long way of answering. Uh, there's a lot of basketball to be played, and I think most of the important decisions as far as who's coming and who's going um, I think are going to be made based on uh, how well they do in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and I really think that there's an opportunity for Dodson, but um, again, you know, it, it's going to require him to, I think, up his offensive production quite a bit. Um, not that he's been poor, but with how short he is compared to a lot of the other players, um, he's going to have to be extremely productive and kind of be seen as a, as a sure thing um, in order to really get the kind of traction in the draft that he's going to need to want to make him want to leave early. Especially... You know, I realize that there's probably not anyone else who's a surefire um, prospect coming out of point guard other than Garland that you talked about. Um, but, you know, I just I just think that there's enough potential negatives that unless he just lights it up from here on out, um, there's at least a, a better shot that he's coming back than that he's leaving. Um, so I, I'm getting a little excited, I think, about what we could potentially have next year. Obviously, there's still a lot to be played this year and a lot to look forward to. Um but there's there's some unique opportunities, I think, that we didn't think we were going to have coming into the year that seem to be playing out. All right, so now um, let's go ahead and turn our attention to the games coming up. Obviously, we have two games this weekend. Um, the, we have the game at West Virginia that's happening at 1, at one o'clock uh, Kansas time. And uh, that's, that's in West Virginia and at, at Morgantown. And then we come home on Monday night to play to host Iowa State in the rematch of, you know, our, our only Big 12 loss. Um, so so first of all, which, I, I mean, I think it goes without saying that that Iowa State game is probably the tougher game just with how poorly West Virginia has been playing. But um, what do you think is probably the biggest thing to be concerned about playing against West Virginia? Well, it's got to be, you know, that press and, and that environment, um, you know, obviously – Life as a as a Kansas player is that um, every team is going to try their hardest to be in, and every stadium is going to be more packed for that game than it is for the rest of the games. Um, you know, I actually I was watching the 
uh, Texas Tech Iowa State game a uh, little bit anyway last night and uh, it sounded like it was a, a sellout but even down the stretch I was watching and, and it just sounded like a library at times during possessions and uh, that's not going to be the case when Kansas is there you know so Kansas has to deal with some stuff that the rest of the league just doesn't have to regardless of how good they are um, so that's that's going to be one thing and then obviously that press um, I retweeted a, a tweet earlier. I can't even remember from who now, but um, basically something to the effect of uh, LaGerald Vick was telling uh, Devin Dotson and the other freshmen that, you know, you got to be prepared because West Virginia is going to follow you. Um, it's just a matter of whether it gets called or not. And they certainly get called for it a lot more on the road than they do at their place. So there's probably going to be a few times where, um, you know, there's some, some grabbing and some, some pulling and everything like that that doesn't get called and it's going to, be up to Kansas to respond to it. And obviously Kansas has the, the huge talent edge this year, but when you have a, a press like West Virginia's uh, and you have kind of their um, their different defense and, and their overall atmosphere, it's definitely uh, going to be a challenge for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I am, you know, we've been conditioned, I think, the last few years to be worried about the West Virginia press. Um, just because they've always had a really good defense the last few years. Last year they started to slip a little bit. Um, you know, 2015 to to uh, to 2017, those those years. Um, so would have been let's see, four years ago, all the way up to, to two years ago. Uh, you know, they had a really really good defense. They were uh, within the top 30 in 2015, and then 2016 2017. You know, they had a top five defense both years. Um, so. Last year, though, they really started to slip. They were 41st at Ken Palm last year. And this year, you know, they're 133rd at this point, which, I mean, I realize part of that is probably just the fact that they, you know, have lost five straight in the Big 12. Um, but the Big 12 itself has actually turned out to be a pretty defensive league this year, as opposed to, you know, there's not the high-powered offenses that we're used to seeing in the Big 12. Um, and so I'm a little, I'm a little surprised that they're as bad at defense as they have been. I don't think the press really is as much of a concern this year as it, as it has been previously. And, and to be honest, even if the defense is a little bit better um, against Kansas than they are normally, you know, Kansas defense is a whole lot better. And so Kansas is going to have a lot more opportunities, I think, to turn, to turn West Virginia over. West Virginia's offense has a real problem with turnovers itself. And so while the press might be able to get turnovers, Kansas, when they are on defense, is going to have that same opportunity to get turnovers against West West Virginia. Um, so, I mean, I don't know that I'm necessarily too concerned about this game, um, you know, it's especially given the, the records. But, you know, I don't I don't honestly think that the, the that the press is really anything to worry about this year. I do think what seems to be the case um, is their their offense. Let me see. No. I'm sorry, not their offense down low. That, that was their, their defense. What, what they really seem to excel at, though, is their offensive rebounding. And so I think where Kansas is going to get hurt really is on second chance points. We've seen that happen a few times already this year. Um, Kansas gives up a lot of offensive rebounds. That's probably the one area of Kansas' defense that really just isn't that great, is keeping the other teams off the offensive class. And so um, West, West Virginia is really, really good at that. It's going to give them a lot more opportunities, especially at home, to get in there and get some second chance points. Um, and potentially forcing fouls, um, getting some of the, the guys in foul trouble pretty early in the game, 
Um, I think that's my main concern is that we're going to see a lot of foul trouble and that, and that West Virginia is going to get a lot of extra looks just because Kansas, for some reason, can't, can't box guys out and can't get those defensive rebounds as often as they should. Yeah, w- one other thing, too, is um, it sounds like Sagawa Kanate is um, actually going to be out for the year. He hurt his knee, Ooh, and originally it was – yeah, he. Well, I don't think there's been an official announcement, but I was I was doing a little bit of reading earlier today, um, and it sounds like his family wants him to sit out and just kind of rehab and and get ready for the NBA draft rather than risking coming back and getting hurt again. So um, obviously, you know, it sounds like it's not a long term thing. So I think we can um, say that it's you know good news for Kansas that he's going to be out without needing to be worried about his long term future. Um, cause you know, obviously you don't want to win because a guy is, is out with some horrific injury, but, um, it does sound like he's going to be fine. So that's good. Um, yeah, and that I, was, I you know, that was, that he had been out for the last few games, but for some reason yeah. I was thinking he was actually slated to come back for this one. So, yeah, um, well, you know, I, I could be wrong. It sounds like there, like I said, it sounds like there's no official word or anything like that. That's just kind of the, the scuttlebutt. So, um, the other thing, I guess, to, to make my point about the press, and I think, I think you made, you know, good points about the fact that it's not as big of a deal this year and stuff, but, you know, for a, for a young team and, and for a young point guard, it still can be a shock. And it's probably a case where you would want to play them, uh, at home first to kind of get used to the press in your atmosphere versus having to go play there first. So maybe a little bit of a break for West Virginia, but, um, I don't necessarily think that Kansas is going to have a, a huge problem. Um, right. I think that they're, you know, we'll, we'll see if they <laughs> miss as many free throws as they did uh, on Monday night, but I don't think that'll be the case. I think that was mostly a, a one game blip. So uh, I'm expecting, you know, like I said, another, another game where maybe Kansas has a, a little bit of a, a lead late and then maybe West Virginia closes the gap as has happened against Kansas for the last few games here. Yeah, I'm thinking it's probably going to come pretty close to that. I mean, just again, given given Kansas's trends, I think that the trends for Kansas are going to determine this game a whole lot more than the ones for West Virginia. Um, just given the fact that you know West West Virginia has lost a lot this year, and I've been I've watched a few of their games because they're actually the closest Big Twelve team um, to my current location, and so they they tend to be on for whatever reason when I wouldn't necessarily expect them to be. Um, but but yeah, they. Um, They've lost in a lot of different ways. It's not like they've, you know, had one huge glaring issue that's kind of been their downfall every time. It seems like every single game they've lost, especially in conference, has been a little bit different. Um, you know, either because they were went too slow or they went too fast, or um, you know, the defense just didn't do what it was supposed to in one game. The offense couldn't get going in another. So um, they've just kind of been all over the place. I think Kansas is going to more dictate how this game goes than West Virginia is probably. So if if uh, Kansas has a really big glaring weakness in any particular spot um, that West Virginia is somehow able to take advantage of that particular game. Um, then they have a shot in it, but it's going to take a really poor effort from Kansas. I think even more so than any other of the games that Kansas played, it's going to take a really poor effort um, from Kansas to even make this a game. So, all right. And then obviously the, the rematch against Iowa state is coming up on Monday night. Um, it's big Monday again for Kansas second week in a row. They're, they're hosting, um, this or yeah, I'm sorry. It's the second week in a row that they're hosting a big Monday game. Um, they they'll have two, I believe, later in the season where they're on the road for those. But we get the back to back against Texas, and then and then now coming up against Iowa State. Um, what are you looking towards in that game? Obviously, the first game up in Ames didn't really go very well for Kansas. 
um, I do think things are going to be different, but I'm I'm curious what what do you think is going to be the biggest difference between this game and that game, other than the fact that it's at at, at Allen Fieldhouse. Yeah, I, th- I think the big thing is going to be the turnovers. Uh, turned it over on a third of their possessions in Ames, which uh, can't happen, and, and I don't think will happen. Um, you know, I don't think Devin Dotson's going to have five turnovers. I think Dieter Clausen's going to have six turnovers. So that right there is going to be a, a huge boost for their offense. Um, and then, you know, defensively, they got to do a little bit better job of uh, cutting off the three-pointer. Um, you know, they, they allowed way too many open threes, and I, I don't think West Virginia, or uh, excuse me, Iowa State, is going to shoot over 50% from three again like they did. And, you know, when they forced to do inside the arc, um, they shot like 42% inside the arc. So their their defense was not bad um, other than the fact that, you know, they gave up a few too many open threes. But credit for Iowa State, they made some really tough shots too. It wasn't all um, Kansas's bad defense. But I, I do think on the other side of the ball, um, you know, KU's offensive output was – you know, if you're if you're assigning blame to them or credit to Iowa State, I think it's you know 80% blame to Kansas and 20% credit to Iowa State. So I think that's going to be a lot better. Um, and then you know Iowa State's kind of the Jekyll and Hyde team of the Big 12 so far. They've got wins over Kansas and, and a win over Texas Tech, and then they barely beat Oklahoma State, who's in the basement, and lost to Baylor, who's going to be in the basement, and then lost at home to K-State, who granted has, has played a little bit better uh, with Dean Wade back, but it's not like Dean Wade had a, a good game in that one. So um, they've given away a couple and, and you know won a couple of games that um, are maybe a better pair of wins than anyone else in the league is going to have this year. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree with all of that. Um, I do think, though, um, you know, I think free throws are going to be a big difference in this game. Um, Iowa State, even at home and having the benefit of the home whistle, only shot ten free throws in that in that other game in, in that last game, and Kansas shot eleven. So I think part of that was their shot selection. Um, but I I do also think that you know they they also are not a very good team in terms of getting to the line. Um, so that's going to be a big difference, I think. Um, but then also obviously you're right. There's no way that they're going to shoot fifty percent again. Um, or I should say, it's not very likely that they're going to shoot over 50% again from three and even take that many three shots, uh, that, that, that many three-point shots. I mean, they shot 25 three-pointers, um, which against Kansas, I mean, that's I guess that's kind of to be expected. More uh, Most teams are shooting more three-pointers against Kansas than they actually are on their season average. So I'm not really surprised about that amount, but... Um, you know, Iowa State also is a very, very streaky team. I think, honestly, though, for me, the big, the biggest difference, I think, is just going to be the play of Ochayabaji. Um, you know, he's he's been a much more consistent defender, I think, on the perimeter um, that we've had from a lot of guys. Part of that might just be the fact that he's a, you know, he's he's a new guy who's having to work really hard to show, you know, why he was he had his red shirt pulled and why he's playing such a big role in a lot of these games. Um, but I, I just think that the energy that he brings to the team. Um, gives the team a completely different dynamic, and he's really, really good on the defensive end on the perimeter. Um, you know, I think he's just enough of a jack of all trades that he can kind of improve everywhere that they've been playing just enough to get them over the hump here. I don't, I don't think there's going to be a blowout in this game. Um, again, just because of the way Kansas usually plays, but uh, I do think that that Abaji is going to have a pretty big game, and he's, you know, ultimately I think we may be able to look back on that game, and he will be the guy that the fans are going to remember the most, even if he doesn't have the best stats, um, he seems to always make at least one or two hustle plays that everybody remembers from all of his games so far. Um, you know, he's, and he does enough kind of overall around that 
he's definitely been a, a, a net positive to this team since he joined. All right, any other final thoughts about that Iowa State game? Uh, nope. All right, I think we're good there. So um, just one final thing I wanted to ask you about. Um, you know, it's been, I think, as we kind of were expecting um, after everybody was a little bit concerned, you know, losing up at Iowa State, um, the, the, the Big 12 is just a beast again this year. Um, you know, there's been a lot of, I guess, surprising results. I think the fact that K-State went on the road twice against top 20 teams um, and beat Iowa State on the road and then beat Oklahoma on the road um, was probably the biggest indication of just how difficult this league is and how surprising I think it's going to be. Um, so I've got two different questions for you. The first one is, you know, um, what do you think is going to be the most tightly, well, I should say, what's what's going to be the biggest storyline for the rest of the year in the league? Um, is it going to be just how much parity there is? And like, you know, I, I mean, is Kansas going to win this one by only a game or so just because of how balanced the league is? Yeah, I think, you know, I think that that is going to be the biggest thing is, you know, those three teams at the top, Texas Tech, Kansas, and Iowa State, even though, um, you know, Kansas State has, has played a lot better with Dean Wade back, and um, there's certainly other good teams in the league. I mean, TCU is a top 20 team uh, in Ken Palm. Uh, Oklahoma is a top 30 team in Ken Palm, and, and so is Texas. But uh, I think those three teams at the top are, are separate from the rest of the league and, and kind of in a tier by themselves. So that round robin uh, between those three, um, and obviously, you know, Iowa State has the, the 2-0 advantage right now if you're looking at just uh, the mini league between those three. Um, I think that's going to be a, a big thing. But as, as you said, and, and as you've seen this year, there's a lot of parity. And, and just because you beat those other teams at the top, you still got to show up every game and, and take care of business against everyone. And so I, I think that's you know, uh, you're right. I mean, any game that those top three teams play um, are going to be games that you need to watch and, and games that you need to pay attention to if you're interested um, in the outcome of the Big 12. Um, you know, you look at the Saturday. I mean, Kansas plays West Virginia, who's in last place right now, but has given Kansas all sorts of fits in Morgantown. Uh, Texas Tech is at Baylor, who's, you know, probably going to finish close to the bottom of the league, but they've beaten Iowa State at home. Uh, and Iowa State plays Oklahoma State, who gave them a tough game uh, in the first game of the Big 12 season. So um, even though they look easy on paper, they're they're definitely not. Yeah, well, and that may be a little bit more difficult for Oklahoma State. They they did actually just dismiss three players from the team for break for violating team rules. And while I know that they don't typically do that with their best players, um, you know, anytime you lose three guys off the roster, it messes with the balance and uh, the the rotation, everything. I think. If that had been later in the year, because correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that Iowa State plays, uh, or they, they play that game pretty soon here. Um, there's not going to be a whole, yeah, because that, that's who they play on Saturday. So um, there's not going to be a whole lot of time for Oklahoma State to really get into the swing of things there and try to and, and try to make that game competitive. Um, while I think Oklahoma State's going to be a lot more difficult to play down the road, um, I, I don't know that I'm necessarily too worried about Iowa State dropping that game. Um but I think, I think honestly, for me, the biggest storyline the rest of the way is going to be just the overall, well, I mean, not, not just the overall parity, but it's going to be um, who gets the biggest upset. Um, because I, there's going to be a game that completely sways the, the way that the, the, uh, the, the Big 12 is going to play out. You know, we already had two potential games in that when Baylor, um, when Baylor beat Iowa State, um, let's see, and then Oklahoma – I'm sorry, Texas, uh, crap, I forgot which game that was. Um, 
was it the Texas Texas lost to to Oklahoma State, wasn't it? I believe was it was the other one. Um, it was two on the same night, and then Texas Tech almost went down later in that night. Um, you know, so we've already had multiple games where teams that were expected to be at the bottom of the of, of the conference jumped up and beat teams up at the top. So we're going to see a lot of that this year. But I think the biggest question at the end of the year is going to be who had the biggest upset that affected the race in the Big Twelve the most. Um, but that kind of leads me into my next, uh, my next question for you and, and what will make the final question of the night. What's your craziest prediction for what's going to happen in the rest of the year? Oh, wow. Uh, let's see here. Um, craziest prediction. I think that, oh my God. Um, I think T, oh boy. I guess I wouldn't be crazy to say TC is going to finish fourth. Um, <laughs> let's see here. You go first. I want to. I want to think for a little bit. All right. So my crazy prediction is not only that West Virginia is not going to finish last in the Big Twelve, but that they're going to beat two of the current top four teams in the Big Twelve in Texas Tech, Kansas, Iowa State, and Kansas State. Um, you know, I, I don't think that's really something that you can think is going to happen at this point right now, just given how poorly that they played. But I, I'm I'm thinking at this point they're going to beat. It's probably going to be at home, but they're going to beat one of or, or two of Texas Tech, Kansas, Iowa State, and Kansas State, and it'll be enough to get them out of the cellar, even though okay. they're 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 two games behind at this point and really not playing very well at all. Would Would it be crazy to say I think Baylor's going to finish last? They're they're currently in a tie for fifth, and I mean West Virginia has been awful at Oklahoma State is calling for open tryouts to fill out their roster. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to make the executive decision that that, that uh, qualifies as crazy. Yeah, I, I think, I think that does. So, all right. So we'll, I, I guess we'll, we'll have to check back at the end of the year when everybody gets to laugh at us for trying to be too crazy. So, all right. Um, we're going to go ahead and finish up with our, uh, with our final segment that we always have. Although I think from what I understand from what we were talking about before, your, your random sports minute of the day is not actually going to be about sports. So I will let you go ahead and take it away. That's correct. Well, first, I, I will just do a real brief um, one and say that the Australian Open Tennis Tournament has started. And um, you sh- if, if you're looking for something to watch in the middle of the night, that's a, a good thing. Um, but yeah, so my uh, cell phone is kind of on its last legs uh, of its life. I've probably had it for around five years right now. Um, it's a Motorola Z something or other. I don't even remember oh, anymore. Gosh. but. Uh, it's been good. I mean, I, I've liked it, but it's it's to the point where it's just kind of uh, terrible, and I just uh, haven't gotten a new one just because whenever I buy something big, I get analysis paralysis, and it has to fit every little specification I have and everything like that. So um, my, my sports minute uh, for now is to um, everyone uh, recommend me a phone to get. <laughs> All right. I'm sure we'll get lots of responses on uh... – on, on Twitter for that. So, um, but you know, if, if, uh, what, what do you think, or I should say here, why don't we, why don't we turn it back to sports for a minute here? What do you think is the biggest, um, sports related cell phone, you know, moment that you've seen? Like, so like, like, for example, I believe it was, uh, 
T.O. that had pulled a cell phone out from under the goalpost. Uh, uh, it was it was it was Joe Horn, and that's that's what I was that's what I was going to say. That's oh, okay. the number one. That's the number one one that always. I, I don't know why uh, I thought it was was Terrell Owens. But. I think he had something similar. Yeah, or he had, he had the pen right. He pulled the pen out of his sock and signed the football. Oh, that's right. That that's what that was. Okay, so. But yeah, yeah, the Joe Horn uh, thing. That's a hundred percent what uh, I always think of, and I think someone for the Saints. I think it was Michael Thomas. Did something like that this year too as like a homage. Yeah. So, all right. Well, we'll we'll go ahead and leave it there. Unless you had any final thoughts you want to share with us tonight. Yeah. No, that was it. Sounds good. So yeah, we will um, we will come back um, next week after the Iowa State game. I'm sure we'll have plenty of stuff to talk about. Hopefully, we don't talk about a horrible collapse where Kansas loses. Instead, we can just talk about how much everybody wanted to pull their hair out because Kansas made (laughs) it look like they were going to lose and ended up pulling it out. So. All right, Fetch, thanks again for joining me tonight. Yeah, thanks a lot. And that'll do it for today. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, events that have happened, obviously, other than the men's basketball games that we just talked about, the, the women's basketball team played on Wednesday uh, at Baylor. Or I'm sorry, against Baylor at home. Unfortunately, they lost that game 68-94. to uh, I think that was a little bit expected. Baylor is probably one of the best teams in the nation. So it's not really that much of a surprise that the team wasn't able to go ahead and pull off that win, as nice as it would have been. Coming up uh, tonight, actually, uh, or today, we have the National Pole Vault Summit starts today for the track and field teams for the indoor season. It actually goes um, today and tomorrow. And then, let me see, the the track and field as well. We also have the uh, KUK State, Wichita State Triangular that's happening in Lawrence uh, starting at 3 p.m. So uh, a couple things to look forward to in terms of track and field this weekend. Women's basketball uh, is tomorrow, Saturday, January 19th uh, at 12 p.m. It's on the Jayhawk Network, on the Jayhawk Radio Network. That is in Lawrence. They are welcoming Oklahoma State uh, to to Lawrence. That should be a good game for them. The men's basketball team is also playing at West Virginia at 1 p.m. That's on ESPN. Um, you know, So as we talked about in today's episode, I don't think that there's really too much worry about that particular game. Um, other than the fact that it is a Big 12 game on the road. Um, but then the the tennis team is has a match um, at Lawrence, or in Lawrence against Northwestern on Sunday, starting at noon. So if you are in the Lawrence area, go out there and, and support the ladies out there. Um, and then men's basketball is, again, at home on Monday um, against Iowa State. So, um, again, we, we kind of talked about those two those two games for the men's basketball team this weekend just because again i don't think we're going to be able to have another episode between now and then uh, before that game so uh, again that's all the action that you guys can look forward to from the next week or so um you know please do if you haven't already you can find us uh, on itunes rate subscribe all that fun stuff five stars would be a great uh, great way with, with with a comment there to kind of help steer people towards the podcast if you want to contact us you can do that on Twitter at RockChalkPod or by email, RockChalkPodcast at gmail.com. Um, we always want to get your guys' input um, you know, so we can continue to grow the podcast, continue to kind of do the things that you guys want to hear. So, um, once again, if you haven't done any of that, please, please do. Um, and with that, we will go ahead and leave that there for today. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will catch you next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast.
Podcast Network.